Hey everybody, welcome back to Venture Pill. We're pumped to get into this week's dose. Sad to not be alongside you, Sam, but happy to be videoing in from beautiful Manchester, New Hampshire. So let's get into it. Almost Friday raised a $6 million seed round to take their social media presence to the next level. Sequoia Capital recently announced a catalyst program for seed stage founders called ARC. Zest World, a centralized platform poised to disrupt how comic creators publish and own their IP, raised a $9.3 million Series A. And on the impact investing side of things, Palette just announced a $15 million raise to address homelessness through quickly assembled small home communities. And to wrap up the show, Ramp announced yet another huge round to continue fueling their growth as a finance automation platform for companies of all sizes. I guess you could say Ramp is ramping up. Let's dive right in. This is Venture Pill with your hosts, Sam and Brandon. We're here to prescribe you your weekly dose of venture capital and startup news to keep you informed in the evolving world of venture. All right. Hey, everybody. We are back with our seventh episode of The Pill. It's been a pleasure for Brandon and myself having all the pilgrims come along for this journey with us and making the pilgrimage. And we've got some exciting stories to cover today. So by the time this episode releases, it will be Thursday, almost Friday. And speaking of, almost Friday just raised a $6 million seed round to expand their social media presence and original content initiatives across Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, and other platforms. And this funding will also be used for the development of its brands and sponsorship business, live events, apparel lines, and film slash TV projects. Yeah, so we've seen a couple other companies like this that started out as meme pages on Instagram or other social medias and grew massive followings and sort of turned it into a venture backable business, which is pretty cool. Two that come to mind that I have a couple of friends that work for are Offbeat Media Group and Doing Things Media, both of which had a similar story. I think that Almost Friday is probably earlier stage than these other two that I'm mentioning, uh, but they're on a similar path seemingly. You know, taking on $6 million in funding is, is no chump change, uh, and I'm sure they're going to expect to really operationalize beyond just posting funny things on Instagram and actually creating some content, hiring more people, making it more of a business. Yeah, no, six million, especially for a seed round, is certainly not chump change. And Friday Beers has already had a pretty successful past few years of just building a huge following on Instagram. And with that, selling so much merch and working sponsorships with a Bud Light, Budweiser, all these big Anheuser-Busch beers. So it's it's just cool to see them take this next step in terms of really building a brand image from Friday Beers into the startup of Almost Friday. Which is becoming more of a media company 
than just a collection of social media pages going more into scripted film and TV series and working with streaming services and production companies rather than just making short form content that that goes on Instagram or TikTok. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think it's a great next step for the company and hopefully helps them build out their product line even more so. Yeah. And I know that we've seen uh, success with specifically Offbeat, which we have a couple of friends that work for. It's a Mark Cuban-backed startup. They've grown certainly way beyond their original meme pages into a digital advertising firm with, with a growing amount of employees and really successful. They just spoke at South by Southwest. So one could only hope that Almost Friday gets to a point like that. I'm sure that's what the collection of investors saw in this investment, a big opportunity to capitalize not only the audience, but the experience and the knowledge of the the guys that built it. Uh, It's pretty invaluable in the day and age of social media. Right. And they are some of the pioneers of weekend culture, which is certainly something that I resonate with and has taken a stronghold on a a growing community, at least on Instagram and TikTok and all of these social media platforms. Yeah, it makes me think, uh, are they going to be competing head on with like a bar stool, which is a little bit similar, more sports heavy, I imagine. I don't know. I don't know Friday beers as well as closely as you might. Well, I think actually Barstool is a great comparison because Barstool started off as mainly a sports page. And now it's become such a media conglomerate just by expanding the product line to podcasts, to sports betting, to merchandise. So they've grown from something that was similar to Almost Friday and Friday Beers, just a big social media internet presence to a pretty profitable company. Yeah. So yeah, I I think there's definitely a path that has been walked before by the likes of Barstool and these other digital media companies. So it makes sense and it'll be fun to see how they use that funding going from some, a small operation to now having $6 million to invest is no easy task. So we'll see how it goes. In other news, uh, talking more a little bit about seed stage founders, Sequoia, which is a very, very prominent, probably one of the top most respected venture capital firms located out in Silicon Valley just announced a seed stage catalyst for outlier founders, as they describe it. They're calling it Sequoia Arc. And this will be an eight-week program for a cohort of seed stage founders to basically get a crash course in company design. This terminology that Sequoia uses to describe the way to start, build, and scale enduring companies. And let me tell you, they, they've got some expertise behind this because if you look at their list of portfolio companies, it is quite impressive. It doesn't get much better than this. Let me list them off for you. Apple, you might have heard of them. Airbnb, <laughs> Stripe, Square, Instagram, WhatsApp, DoorDash, 23andMe. The list does continue on from there. So there's a lot of expertise to be leveraged there. And I think this program would be awesome for a seed stage founder to learn how to build an enduring company from the very start because they've seen what it takes to build something special from the very beginning. And they're going to be instilling that into these founders in this first program starting here this year. 
truly one of the most impressive resumes in venture capital history. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. And yeah, as you mentioned, of course, of course, there are plenty of failures, but venture capital works by nature, by the power laws. So for every 20 startups that fail, the one investment made in Apple or Airbnb or Instagram cancels out and then outweighs in the positive end of the gains that this company brings in. And furthermore, on this Sequoia program, so they're going to promise one million in upfront investments into these early stage companies with an emphasis on mindsets, foundations, networks, and community as the difference maker kind of differentiator for these companies that are so early on in their formation. And the first cohort is for European companies, actually, but there are plans of launching a U.S. cohort later this year. Yeah, and we know that there's lots of programs out there like Y Combinator, other accelerators, incubators. Of course, we have uh, Capital Factory here in Austin. There's so many options, honestly, now for early stage founders to consider joining these cohort-based programs. But to me, this new one with Sequoia, if you feel like you've got a game-changing idea and you can apply and get into this, that's a great launch pad. A quick crash course, the network you get from it, the things you'll learn are truly invaluable. It says that they're taking 15 companies for this first cohort, and I imagine a good amount of these will will turn out to be big companies if it follows anything like that track record that we just listed. Right, and this is just the first iteration of this program as well, um, and it's with European companies to start, so you can imagine they'll use it almost as a guinea pig and see the best parts of it and what parts can be changed. And I imagine it might be something that they build upon and just continue to become an incubator and launch pad for some of the most innovative and technologically advanced startups in the in the industry. Definitely. And I got to say, one million into these companies is is no small amount either. So they're they're going to have to have a good conviction in the founder or founders themselves, because as we described earlier, it takes a special founder or a group of founders to build those types of companies. And to invest one million is certainly a lot of conviction. Uh, a little seedling, if you will, for later what could become a big sequoia tree. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. They walked like into that. that one. I'm sure they I'm sure they've it's been done before. But uh, I know you wanted to bring a little zest to the conversation here today with a right, new company get, that's helping comics. That's right. Get the lemon zester out. And some exciting startup news. Zest World raised $9.3 million in Series A funding, including Alexis Ohanian, who you actually got to shake hands with, I believe, at South by Southwest. Right, Sam? That is right. Yeah, shook his hand. I was nervous as all heck. Ohanian actually said in a release that Zestworld is bringing together every aspect of the comic creator business and community into one centralized platform that's disrupting how comic creators publish and own IP, as well as enabling the fans to connect with their creators directly in entirely novel ways. Yeah, and this platform fits really nicely into a theme that continues to develop and resurface in countless venture pill episodes but it's this trend of connecting content creators 
whether that be athletes, musicians, influencers, and now comics, it connects them more directly with their fans, their consumers, kind of taking out this middleman. And this is an overarching trend that we're seeing within Web3, where ownership is being distributed to the people who earn it rather than large platforms who are taking high take rates uh, for posting on, on their platforms. And so this is yet another example of it, but we haven't heard about, at least between you and me, a company that's specifically designed a platform for comics. And by no means am I a comic lover or connoisseur. So we'll, we're doing our best here, but we can assume that, you know, this is a platform based on some of the testimonials of the comics they've, they've already onboarded. This is a platform that has been designed with comics in mind. Right. And the trend of connecting content creators directly to their consumers is something we love to see and I think really embodies the essence or one of the huge benefits of Web3. And specifically with Zest World, which is for comic books, they plan to give creators a comic optimized newsletter platform coupled with an IP management tool because I imagine all the money is to be made in the IP and with licensing deals. So it's, it's great to see another platform enabling and empowering the content creators. And I don't know, if, if, you're, the, if you're the main player within the comic space, I imagine you know, word travels fast between comics. And I think that's yet another positive benefit of this trend of empowering content creators is that in music and athletics and comic books, there are certain barriers to entry that discourage so many talented individuals from actually entering the industry. So to now have a platform where you don't have to worry about the middleman, you just have to worry about building your own fan base. And if your fans like you, they will support you. Um, I, think, I think that's another reason why we love to highlight this trend. Yeah, so you also wanted to cover a company that is really driving an impact within the homelessness space. Tell us a little bit more about Pallet. Right, so Pallet just raised $15 million in funding to expand its production of shelters made of hard plastic panels that can temporarily house people experiencing homelessness. I know you and I unfortunately witnessed it a lot in Austin, Sam, but it's a growing, growing problem across the country and across the world. And so as the homelessness crisis continues growing, in Washington State and cities nationwide, and I say Washington State because that's where Pallet is headquartered, 60 communities in 11 states have installed Pallet shelters, and that's in five Washington cities, including Seattle and Tacoma, where the cabins have been implemented. And speaking of trends in our, in our last segment that we like to see, I definitely think we both resonate with impact funding and these venture capital firms that support uh, impact startups. Back to how these cabins work though, each tiny cabin has built-in features including floors, beds, windows, and a locking door, and the units can be assembled in less than an hour, so a 50-cabin village can be erected in one day, and the structures are easy to clean and resistant to mildew and water damage, so really very impressive structures both in their resilience and in how quickly they can be constructed. 
The cabins are meant to be assembled alongside bathroom and dining facilities, which Pallet also builds, and the smallest 8 by 8 foot shelters start at $5,500, with the goal of this project being to get homeless people out of tents and other marginal homeless shelters and into pallet units where they can access resources and ideally transition into long-term housing. Right. And so it's an interesting play because traditionally we see, you know, regular types of homeless shelters, but I almost want to say that's more of a temporary solution rather than investing in actually helping people with their given situation because a lot of it has to do with mental health, maybe family scenarios, different things going on with different people who are homeless. And so being able to erect these types of communities in such a quick manner and to be able to also reuse these pods is an important aspect of it as well. They're they're built to be long-lasting. Uh, I think they said a 10-year lifespan on average. Uh, so that's a pretty cool aspect of, of these to be taken down and put back together based on where they're needed. Yeah, and I love their mission of helping these people who might struggle to find work, um, whether that's people who have formerly been incarcerated, people who are homeless, or people who have struggled with substance abuse. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it that the mission of Pallet is amazing. And it's great to see venture funding going towards something that will make an actual impact uh, on many people's lives. But we can't help but think about the core aspects of this business model. I'm wondering who is paying this 5500 for a, a home to be erected. Is it local city governments? Is it disaster relief organizations? Uh, Obviously, 5500 that's a really great price to be able to build a safe home for somebody to build their life back up, but that's not a cheap cost. I mean, I don't know too much about the costs generally of homeless shelters. Maybe it's quite comparable, uh, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on kind of the business aspect of Pallet. No, you're right. There's definitely questions to be answered in terms of the business model and who exactly is paying for it. I do think in if you think about the budget of a city government, let's use Austin for instance, I feel like they're spending more than 5500 for a lot of homeless services, be that the homeless shelter or helping, you know, clean up and relocate the current homeless areas in Austin. Yeah, honestly, that's a pretty fair point and you know, the sales at the end of the day will tell the story and it'll be interesting to see how the company grows with this funding, and we'll certainly be keeping track of them and rooting for them from the sidelines. Uh, but for today, we wanted to wrap the episode up with one last company, and it's called Ramp, which is probably one of the fastest growing startups of all time. Uh, I'd be interested to see that list, but they've only been around since about February of 2020 when they came out of stealth mode. And since then, they have now grown to an $8.1 billion valuation after this $750 million raise, which was led by Founders Fund and Keith Raboy, who have now invested for the fourth consecutive time in a, in a short time span in RAMP, which is pretty unprecedented, but it just shows you their conviction level in RAMP 
and the growth prospects that it does have. Not to mention the laundry list of other impressive investors that includes KOTU, Thrive Capital, even Stripe. Uh, so they're backed by a lot of you know, industry titans. And they even raised a large form of this round in venture debt. So $550 million was raised from mostly Citibank and Goldman Sachs. And only $200, uh, $200 million of it was in the form of equity. Now, before we get into the, a little bit more of the details on the company, it's important to note that you know, this fundraising progress is pretty unreal. They're hot off a $115 million round uh, about a year ago. And more recently, they had a $300 million round in August that had them at a $3.9 billion valuation. So this company just continues to double, triple. It's pretty much the playbook that you want to see. And to get into a little bit more about what this company does, they're essentially just a finance automation platform. They help companies save money. And if you want to tell them a little bit more about how they do that, I'll let you get into it and we can go from there. Yeah, and they're also saving these companies so much on software expenses as well as labor expenses. This this platform helps reduce all of those costs that are traditionally associated with back office accounting and financing. And what began as a corporate credit card is now expanding into other sectors like negotiation, automated billing, as well as travel. Additionally, they have strategic partnerships with companies like Amazon, Lyft, WeWork, Visa, and Gmail. They have saved their customers $135 million and automated over 3.5 million hours of work to help companies close their books in eight hours as opposed to the industry median of eight days. And I think with this new influx of venture capital funding and debt, they will look to ramp up their M&A to conquer new sectors, as well as move to international expansion and try to tap into some lucrative international markets like India, Southeast Asia, and more. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about that growth. It's one of the fastest growing companies that we've covered on the podcast and that we've seen in recent years. And it's, it's pretty interesting to see that kind of blitzkrieg strategy where a company raises so much money in such a short amount of time, grows their headcount at such a quick rate. You know, you and I had a friend that just joined the company not too long ago, and he's seen incredible growth now in just a short couple of weeks, really. And that just must be quite a, a ride or a rocket ship to join. And I think that that's a pretty sharp contrast to AngelList, which we covered in last week's episode, which had a very gradual and methodical uh, approach to expanding their company. And it's just cool to see these different strategies that these two very impressive companies are going through, which on one end is mass expansion and rapidly building out a team and expanding markets and fundraising like there's no tomorrow, which is ramp, as opposed to AngelList, which was very patient with their growth and fundraising, as well as expanding into different sectors and building out a team. It's just interesting to compare the two. Yeah, I'm glad you drew that comparison because it's fun to be able to compare 
companies that we've covered on different episodes and their different strategies, because venture capital could be bundled into one group. You know, you raise money from investors and you grow, but it's really not that simple. Uh, there are a lot of different strategies, different scenarios that lend themselves better to a faster growth versus a more calculated growth, or even companies that don't need to raise venture funding. I think that is also something that gets more attention in the media is certainly the sexy, big venture capital rounds like Ramp. But there are a lot of businesses out there doing amazing things that don't raise venture capital. Maybe they raise a little bit of debt or they're simply bootstrapped. There's a lot of different ways to build a company. And it's fun to get into different kinds of companies on our episodes and be able to draw that comparison. So I think that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in and and taking this week's dose of startups and venture capital as always, and hope you have a great week. Signing off. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for your next dose of startups and venture capital on Venture Pill. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little low-key, okie-dokie, that's alright, but...